Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. I want to start off with a quick announcement about uh, the Thanksgiving dinner that's going to come up, an opportunity. I don't know if you have a slide for it or not, but we are going to come alongside um, Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church, which is right down the street on Hines Street here. And um, we've kind of been partnering with them and, and are in the kind of the piloting stages of coming alongside a food bank, a local food bank for Athens, and working with them. And we've got volunteers at work. Right now it's once a month. They're looking at expanding that maybe in 2020 to twice a month uh, because of the demand that's out there. But we're working uh, with Pastor Bry, who is a fantastic guy. And uh, we, we've had breakfast uh, many times over the last year and developed a relationship, friendship. And this is a way that we can find churches working together, not only for uh, crossing racial lines to help to go on mission together, but we're also uh, blessing the community in the name of Jesus. And so we're, we're like, we're killing birds left and right with just one stone, right? We're just throwing them. And so what I want you to do or, or to consider um, is go to mysc3.org. Uh, don't do it right. Well, you can do it right now. Um, don't do it right now. But uh, there, there's a place to sign up for this week. And so there are uh, places to volunteers between 11 and 1 o'clock at uh, Ebenezer Missionary Baptist. Down here, they're going to have uh, a Thanksgiving dinner this Saturday uh, from 11 to 1. And they need a few volunteers, not too many. Uh, right now, we don't want to have everybody show up um, because it would just be a little overwhelming. So there are slots. on a, They link it to a sign-up genius. So there's maybe a few slots to, to show up, maybe at like 10 o'clock, a little early to help set up and to, to do that. But the main thing we might need is maybe make a dish, some sweet potatoes or or a casserole or corn or something like that. And you can see what's on there. So if you'll just visit uh, mysc3.org and there'll be a button there uh, for you to press on. So keep that in mind and uh, we'll let you know how it goes. All right, so we are in Proverbs. If you are new here, we typically typically go through books of the Bible. We've been through Genesis recently, um, book of James a little bit earlier. We're in Proverbs uh, and we're doing Proverbs a little bit differently just because we're not going straight through it. We're doing it more thematically. Right, And so where we are is in marriage today. Um, some parts of the Bible, if you're not familiar with Proverbs, are black and white. Uh, have no other gods before me. Um, you make no graven image for worship. Honor your father and your mother. We know this is good. To not do this is bad. To do something else. And so we know that's right and that's wrong. And that's kind of easy to draw the lines. Proverbs deals with the grays of life. The, the, I'm not so sure, it's not clearly written down, what job should I take, who should I marry, how do I raise these children, right? And so Proverbs gives us wisdom, and we look at Proverbs kind of as the art of living, that there is an art form to living, and it, the, the closer you are to art, the closer you, uh, to, to following Jesus and what God says for us, the closer we are to living a, an abundant life, a thriving, artful, uh, living life. Uh, experience. So that's where we are in Proverbs right now. The central theme is the fear of the Lord or to live at, with Jesus at the center, that it's not about us, it's not about who, who, what we like and what we want, and, and, and we get mixed up on that a lot because we think it is. If we'll just be satisfied, then everything will be okay. And what we learn is putting us at the center is one of the worst things that we can do. Proverbs, I haven't said this before, was primarily written to young men who were coming into adulthood. 
and that's very important for today and, and looking at marriage. It was teaching them how to live as unto the Lord in, in all of life. And because it was written to young men, that doesn't mean that if you're not a young man, you get to tune it out real quick, all right? It's still the word of the Lord. You may be a, an older man. You may be a woman. You know, it's still going to apply, I promise, because it, we're talking about marriage and what God's word says about it today and the, looking at the principles uh, that we find in here. Now, last week was on friendship. And the third point of friendship was a sensitivity. And so I want to employ some of what we talked about for friendship into marriage, um, the sensitivity. I know that there are many in here who are, right now, early on or happily married and expecting good instruction to know how to improve upon this blissful state you found. I understand that. That's, that's fantastic. Um, I also have been around the block a little bit, and I know that there are some that are remarried. There are some who are married to someone who is not putting Jesus in the center of their life. There are those that are single and want to be married. There are those who are single again for various reasons and want to be married again, or they're single again and don't want to be married again. I understand that. And so understand, I don't think you need to tune out. Um, I want this to be a place of grace, not only that I want to exhibit toward you, but that you would exhibit toward me. Understanding that I know these things and I'm trying to still walk right into it. <laughs> um, we don't want to step over things. That's why we went through sex for two weeks and talked about the biblical view. P.S. This is where you need to hear these things <laughs> at church. Not find out about it somewhere else and then live your life that way. Um, there, there's no in, in sense. I don't want you to hear that there's any, any sense of trying to shame you because of where you are and that, or that the church is saying that you're devalued. If you don't measure up to the model of marriage, um, if you've been here for more than three weeks, what you know is the whole point of the gospel is that none of us measure up. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> none of us do. And you pick an area, parenting, husbanding, not the farming kind, the kind where you're like having a wife, right? right? Or, or, or being a wife, you know, none of us really measure up. That's the point of us coming here and throwing our, our lives at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, help. Help us not only for eternity, not to just live with you for eternity, but to have power to live a thriving life that honors you now, that puts you in the center of our lives now so that we might thrive and flourish for your glory and our good. So we're going to follow the pattern of last week with, with friendship, where we looked at friendship, um, and we're not doing an exhaustive study of marriage. I'm not going to uh, uh, spend a lot of time in Ephesians or in the New Testament or, or, or moving around a lot because I'm trying to look through the, the lens of Proverbs. And so here are our three points for today as in last week with, with friendship. Number one, the model of marriage, kind of its, its purpose. What is it for? Number two, excitement of marriage, because after you look at it, sometimes you've got to think, wait, hold on, that's not all good. And so, yep, there is excitement we find in the, in the Scriptures for sure, especially in Proverbs. And then three, the redemption of marriage, because we have to understand it through the gospel lens. All right, so number one, the model of marriage. Like friendship, marriage does have a point. Friendship was to know and to be known by God and by others. Marriage has a reason and a design. And so Proverbs, like I said, was primarily written to young men coming of age, entering adulthood. Chapters 1 through 30 are focused on males becoming a certain kind of person that live in the fear of the Lord, that have Jesus at the center of every decision we make. He's not, it's not, here's how I live, here's my work life, my sleep life, here, here are my, ha my, my, my hobbies, and then here's Jesus when I do this. It's no, Jesus at the center, and all of that is through the lens of how do I live a gospel life, right? That's who these young men 
or we're hoping that they will be, or why it was written. Then in chapter 31, 10 through 31, verses 10 through 31, we see a noble or a valiant or um, uh, an excellent, depending on your translation, wife. And if you have a Bible in front of you or one on the floor, go on and turn to Proverbs 31 and just put your finger there on 10 because we couldn't get, you know, 21 uh, verses on the screen moving back and forth. Um, Many of us are very familiar with this section of Proverbs, if anywhere, um, and so what I want you to see in this, the, the first point, model of marriage, is that together, chapters 1 through 30, and then 31, 10 through 31, together we see two people who fear the Lord and what their lives produce as a harvest or a model marriage. Not just a noble wife, but re- you can't just take Proverbs 31 and set it aside from the rest of the other 30 chapters. These are written as a cohesive unit for a reason so that we can see what a model marriage should look like. All right? So that's what we're going to attempt to do today. So go, as you have that down, look at those verses. It starts with an excellent wife who can find. She's more, far more precious than jewels in verse 10. Here's what, and most people do, most women that read this, it turns into a Bible study or an entire, an entire genre of who you ought to be of what you should look like, what you should aspire to, and compare yourself to. Here's what this Robert, Mrs. 31, here's what she does. All right? She owns her own business. She makes all of her family's clothes. She farms. She's got a vineyard. She stays up late, and she gets up early. She feeds her family and whoever is around. She takes care of the poor and the needy. She's quite a philanthropist. She even makes her own bed sheets. You may sell essential oils, but do you make your own bed sheets? <laughs> right? I'm like, whoa. She teaches with kindness and wisdom, hardworking, and she's never idle. Her hands are never idle. She, she doesn't do anything but just turn out product, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's a lot. And so usually, historically, these verses have been set as a standard for every wife. <laughs> and therefore, only stirs guilt and shame on your best day, right? Now, that's not what that's written for. But God, and, and I'll tell you this, God never wants to shame you for not having the gifts you weren't given or for accomplishing things you're not able to do, okay? Please don't misinterpret what the Bible's saying. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Proverbs 30, well, on the woman measuring list. I, I, it will only inspire guilt and shame if you study it as a laundry list of to-do rather than see the spirit and the motivation that drives her. We've all been given different gifts, Different amounts of gifts, different size plates, and we are to do with what we have been given. We don't bury it in the ground. We express it, and everybody's going to look different. Every, I promise you, every wife here does not need to start a business. Most of you don't even need to be bitten, uh, knitting your own bed sheets. All right? Don't even try that. I don't, I don't think anybody, you know, it's just not good. What you need to do is you need to see her heart. So what is Proverbs teaching us? Well, a couple of things, all right? First, many commentators suggest that this chapter, 31, right here, uh, summarizes the life of a woman. Over many productive years, there's, there's uh, present and past tenses that have kind of been uh, uh, put into to the ESV or, or different translations, and many say many of these are in the past tense. And so it's looking at a woman over many productive years, and it gives the highlights of faithful things that she did at various times. There's seasons that we're seeing kind of put all together in the Cliff Notes version. It's looking back 
on a steadfast and faithful life of a woman who fears the Lord. It's not a given day where you, caught, you just kind of catch her and you've caught her doing everything, waking up early, mending the, making sheets and starting a business and running a vineyard and taking care of the, the needy. And I'm like, that's not a day, right? It's reflecting on a life of faithfulness unto the Lord, of, of living in the fear of the Lord. Secondly, uh, given the context of the whole book of Proverbs written to young men, that there are 30 chapters on how they should live and who they should be, and then here we get the character of this woman at the end of a book that they, uh, of, a, of a, a person that they should look for. So if you're to be married, each of these kinds of people, first 30 chapters and 31, are who you need to look for. And we put them together, and what we see is a faithful man who fears the Lord, and a faithful woman that fears the Lord to model marriage, and this chapter 31 kind of is what it looks like. How can you say that? Because the biblical purpose of marriage is not to find someone who completes you. It is not to find a partner that makes life easier. It's not to find somebody that can split rent with you. The goal of marriage isn't to get happiness from the marriage alone. Marriage was not invented so that we would be happy. You can be happy without that. That's why it's a covenant and not a contract. It's not like paying a cable bill. You do part, and the cable company will do their part. You don't meet halfway. It's a covenant. All for you, all for you. We're all for each other. That's what a covenant is. It's not, it's, that's why it's until death do you part, not as long as our love shall last. Love is a decision rather than an emotion. And it is a decision that has emotion tied to it, but the emotion does not drive your will, your decision, right? And so it's not, marriage is not the goal of life. Now, if you're single, you should not live your life sitting around waiting to be married. If I could just get married, I'll be okay. No! I did that a long time. The goal of life, here, here it is. You know, one note, take one note today. Here it is. The goal of life is multiplying the worship of God through the advancing of his kingdom. Worship is the goal. Now, that's what Proverbs is telling us. According to, the, the, according to Proverbs, the point of marriage is fruitfulness in the kingdom of God over a lifetime. That's what we, when you read through Proverbs 31 there at the end, it's amazingly productive, amazingly fruitful. And this shouldn't be too surprising if you jump back to the beginning. I will go to Genesis for a second. What, because in the beginning, before the fall, all this stuff was set up before the fall for a reason. What was the first command that was given to Adam and Eve? If you look at Genesis 1.28, it says this. This is Genesis 1. So that's, that's pretty early on in the Bible, right? And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were made in the image of God. Fill the earth with my image, worship. I want my image to be everywhere. I want it to flood the earth. I want there to be praise singing all over the place because that is right and that is good. I did my brother's wedding about a week, and a, a week ago or so, last uh, Saturday, and so it's fresh on my mind. And so in that wedding, I'm like, do you know why God created marriage? Why God created a woman? If you remember Genesis 2, he created Adam, then he put him in the garden to work it. This is all before the fall, all before sin came in. And God said, and you hear it at weddings all the time, it's not good that man should be alone. 
And then God brings, he makes, he gets the animals, he brings them to Adam, and the Bible says, to see what Adam would name them. I thought that was interesting. To see what he would name them. And there wasn't an animal fit to be a helper for Adam. A helper for what? See, God did not make Eve because Adam was lonely. He was alone. Lonely and alone are different. I'm all, on, I'm all over alone. I need some alone. Lonely feels different. One's a geographical designation. The other one is heart. Right? And so here's the thing. If you say God made Adam because he was lonely, then God's relationship with Adam is not enough. And it is, I assure you. God is certainly enough for any of us, single people, married people, people made in God's image. He was alone in what God had called him to do, in the mission to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. He, he can't do that alone. Now, science has come a long way, but you still need two people to tango some form or fashion. And God knew that that helper was Eve, and, and she and Adam together can follow the Lord and be fruitful and multiply. And, and it's about kingdom expansion. Initially, it was biological proliferation, right? Having kids. Marriage is ultimately about God's kingdom expansion. And it started biologically, and then it changes now after Christ, after Jesus, when we're, make, we're making disciples, it's spiritual. Because we're supposed to go to all the nations making newborn Christians everywhere, right? And so it's the same mandate as Genesis 1.28, fill the earth with my glory, except it's going to be a spiritual uh, conversion. It's going to be a transformation. So that's what marriage is really about. And it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable and it's not full of life. It's just that marriage is not the goal. So if you're single, don't think that's the goal. It's not. It's about two people who are more fruitful together rather than apart. That's what Proverbs pictures for us. You're, you're more fruitful for the kingdom together than you are apart. In Proverbs 31, the husband's in the gate, which is like city hall, and he's where, where the rabbis and the judges are, and they're carrying out civic law and, and life, and they're, they're making decisions on stuff. He can do that because his wife's taking care of everything at home and on the farm. He's good. Okay, you got, all right, you know, we're, we're good. We're a team. Yes, this is amazingly progressive for this time period, if you think about it. This happens in our house. I go to Nepal a lot, right? I love it. Do you know what's harder, me going to Nepal or my wife staying with four kids at work and, and all that? Uh, easy. It's harder for what she does. I love it. I'm like, this is, this is easy for me. I'm doing, I love this. I'm getting out. It's adventure. I'm seeing what God's doing. And she's like, We'll, we'll get there. We'll make it. We're good. She, she's working. That's how we, we work together. We're more fruitful together. And in 10 years, you know, she may move to another season of life where she's home knitting bed sheets and starting a business. I, I don't know. She may move on. The kids have moved up. She's got some more time. I don't know. But for now, we're dividing and we're conquering. And by grace, hopefully we're more productive for the kingdom together than I would be on my own. Marriage is a vocation. It's a calling. Singleness is a vocation. It's a calling. It is not the goal. Marriage is not the goal. The goal of Christianity is always worship. More people loving Jesus, more. From the neighborhoods to the nations. And we do our little part. So, 
You can also see this in, in Paul's teachings. I'm not going to turn there, but the Apostle Paul, he says to the church in Corinth, I wish that all were as I myself am. <laughs> That's what, I wish you were all like me. And Paul was single, right? I wish you were all like me. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So I've got, he's saying, I've got the gift of singleness. You, I wish you had this gift, but you may have the gift of marriage. God has got each in different places, and we, we rarely see singleness as a gift. We see it as a stigma to get out from underneath. And Paul says, it is the way you should be unless you can't do that, right? Unless you're more productive over here. And so it's like, let's give some honor and some value to that, the way that the Bible does. Singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. And each have the same goal, fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. Because that's where your actual joy, your actual fulfillment, your actual purpose come from, whether you're married or single. Marriage will not fulfill you. If you think, oh, if I get just married, I'll be fine. You're wrong. Oh, if I'm just dealing with lust, if I just get married. Wrong answer. Marriage does not fix you. It does not fulfill you. And it's not the goal. Now, with that terrible news, <laughs> let's go to point two, all right, because it actually gets better. You're like, Jamie, you really setting me up here. I, this marriage, I'm not so sure about it. There is an excitement in marriage. I almost put point two, awesomeness in marriage, all right, because the Bible does have some amazing things to say about that. Now, Proverbs is very clear that marriage is enjoyable and pleasurable, right, in fact, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are warning, warning, warning about the adulterous woman to the young guy because he's trying to get the benefits of marriage without the commitment and the covenant of marriage, right? And so he's like, do not go to the adulterous woman. woman. She's going to be offering you what you, you think is going to be the best thing in the world. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. That's, that's what we keep hearing in, in 5, 6, and 7. And then at the end of 5, it's like, be with, uh, um, he says, to have one wife, the wife of your youth, or a virgin, as it says, be filled and delight only in her. Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 21. I'm not going to go into what I just said because it was, it was covered during our, our, our two weeks on sex, but Look at uh, verse, chapter 30, verses 18. Yeah, we can get it all up there, um, through 21. I'm going to read this real quickly. Three things are too wonderful for me. Remember, this is a sage talking, uh, someone full of wisdom, and he's teaching. Three things are too wonderful for me, for I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. So this is a teaching method that was employed back then, right? To say, here are three things that are too wonderful. They're amazing. The fourth, I don't understand it. So the, the, the first three are a comparison to get the idea of the fourth, right? And so there's an eagle soaring and a serpent sliding and, and, and a ship sailing, and they all seem to be amazing and unbelievable. Don't, don't think from our viewpoint. Think back when this was written. And then the fourth one, to the sage, says the, the way of a man with a virgin, and it's understood in, in the marriage context here, that he says, I don't even understand it. These are amazing things here, but this one is just beyond comprehension. The way of a man with a virgin. And the word for way there, the word for way there is like a long journey. There's this destination that's a long way off. In other words, what he's doing is he's it's a lifetime. He's using this imagery to portray the marriage bed of a couple, of a married couple, or the sex life of a couple, okay? 
And Proverbs is saying that a man who stays with his wife, that their sex life has the potential to be like an eagle or a snake or a boat, which are all amazing to behold, and that they defy gravity. How is that possible? How does that thing happen? How does that thing happen? How does that happen? Look at that. That is amazing, right? Imagine being back then and you're like watching this eagle soar through the air. Like, what flies? They didn't have planes. They didn't have helicopters. How does that work? What is that? How is that, that you know, being up there? It's defying gravity. That's amazing. What about a serpent? There's no arms. There's no legs. That thing just jumped up on a rock, and it's just shooting right across. How does it move forward at all? It's astounding. And a boat. We kind of get used to boats, but boat, it'll float in 10 feet of water or 1,000 feet of water. It just bloop, doesn't matter. Water can get as deep as you want. It's fine. These are amazing things that we wouldn't believe that they were able to do. And then we have this idea of a man and his wife in purity staying together for a long course, a long journey. And what the Bible says is this is an amazing experience. And it's more than amazing. It's so amazing that he can't even, the sage can't even understand it. It's over the whole of life. And it's so amazing here, we, we see in verse 20 of chapter 30, that the adulteress in verse 20 has no concept that it's even possible. And in fact, for her, it's no more for her, and this is an allusion to uh, sex as well, the, the transaction for her is like cheap food. She just wipes from her mouth and just goes on to the next one. Let me, let me try some of that. Let me try some of that. This, has got, this is the best way to live. And the adulteress is calling out in chapter 5, 6, and 7, Oh, come to me. Come on, come on you who are, are, are simple. And the Bible says, mm-mm. If you see what the Bible is doing here, the proverb is placing the purity and the call to marital fidelity alongside the, the seeming excitement and lust of the adulterous woman. And, he's, and what God is saying is, God's way is much more fun than you can imagine and more appealing if you knew how things really worked. That's what it's saying, that marriage is awesome. And so young men and, and women, there, there's beauty and there's excitement in living the way that God has designed us to live and not living and doing whatever's right in our own eyes. So what should, what should men look for in a wife? Beauty? I'll tell you, when beauty is used in Proverbs, um, it's usually meaning worldly beauty or attractiveness like for the adulterous woman, and it's connected to temptation and moving away from God. And most, most think that if you end up with someone that you think is beautiful or, or hot, right, that sexual fulfillment automatically flows from that. That's what TV tells us. That's not true. And if you wait long enough, what you see when ads come out, people are married to the most beautiful people in the world, and it's just not enough. I've seen that 20 years. The Bible just said in those verses that sexual fulfillment is more related to faithfulness and fear of God than to what your preference and looks are. Now that's, you're going, yeah, I believe that in my head, Jamie, but come on. Culture says, no way. And I'll tell you this, just to be honest, 17-year-old me would say, that's a very churchy answer. But I know what I feel. And 45-year-old me says, ding, ding, ding. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I know that if you're a younger person, you'll want to seek out someone who is beautiful and then hope they have a heart for God. <laughs> like, I want to get what I really want because I think that's what really is going to sustain me. And then, man, I hope they love Jesus. hope they love Jesus this way, this way, and this way. And I'm just going to say Proverbs just says, please don't do that. Don't make decisions like that. Don't do it. It's not good to seek beauty only. At least put that down there on the bottom of the list, right? If you can't get rid of it altogether. It's also not good to enjoy quarreling. It, it says it four times in Proverbs. A quarrelsome woman, a quarrelsome man, either way. Somebody that loves to just be right. It says it's better to be in the corner of the house, you know, or out in the desert. I mean, it just gives you these crazy pictures. And I, I used to refer to that in my early 20s as spunk or feistiness. I found it attractive. And some, some ladies, some girls back then. And the Bible says... Don't do that. The Bible says, chapter 31, look for someone first and foremost. And this can be a prayer for all of us, for our spouses, for ourselves, to increase in. Someone who fears the Lord above all else, verse 30. Who is a hard worker, verse 27. Someone who's trustworthy, verse 11. Someone who's strong or secure in the Lord, verse 25. And who's kind, and caring. And in fact, the word for kind there is hesed. You know that song we sing, hesed? Your loving kindness. It's the same word as the Lord's loving kindness that desires his people not to pay for their sin, but to come to him. That's, that's what is on the tip of her tongue. The point is, it's not so much to meet these, this list in, in chapter 31 as much as it is see the fruitful way that God has made you for his kingdom. How has he made you specifically, uniquely, individually? And then if you are married, how, how do your gifts come together? What, how, what is God doing there? What tapestry is he weaving? What poem is he, what work has he created that you are learning to walk in together? Because it really is about him. When we make it about us, we lose what it is. When we make it about him, we learn what it is. It takes wisdom for that. So whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you're married to, to someone who doesn't put Jesus at the center of their lives, Paul says, hey, stay married as long as they consent to. Because you may be the light that draws them in. If, if you're not married, if you're single, there are ways that you can be involved in the kingdom that married people cannot. i got to get up at 5 or whatever to get my kids ready to go to school. I can't meet with people in this season. Or, or late at night, i got to get home because we got homework and all that. I'm, I'm more limited to do things. And so we don't want to take advantage of that, but we also want to recognize that we are all in different seasons, and all of those seasons need to be stewarded well for the gospel and not stewarded well just for ourselves. See, the point is, is not married versus single. <laughs> it's God-centered versus man-centered. Finally, the redemption of marriage. Let's finish up. Proverbs assumes gospel help. God calls you to do things that are tough. 
He calls you to do things that, he can, that you can only do with his help. That way he gets glory. You don't get to go, man, I really improved in that area. I just really, I white knuckled it. I got through. Boy, I was good. Never do we stand before the Lord and say that. We say, so good are you. You have blessed us. You've given me the ability. You've given me the, the heart change to love someone that I did not love at one point. And so Proverbs assumes spiritual empowerment in a broken world. It, it assumes that excellent wives, faithful husbands, steadfast singles will make mistakes, will endure hardship, and will weather storms in their homes. All our marriages will falter on some level. You will contribute to it. You will be the receiver of it. You will stumble at some point and you maybe even fail. Or if you're single, you will wonder, am I going to be single forever? These are places we don't need to get trapped. The good news is that you cannot be messed up enough or bad enough or make enough mistakes to earn God's condemnation on your marriage or singleness. You may have been the most unfaithful spouse in history, but you cannot be sinful enough to put your marriage beyond the possibility of redemption. The bad news, however, is that neither can you be good enough and earn it back or earn God's blessings on your marriage or your singleness. You might be the best spouse that has ever walked the planet, but you can't be righteous enough, smart enough, or in control enough to protect your marriage from difficulty, trials, or suffering. You must depend on Jesus. That's where we end up all the time, isn't it? This is just through the lens of Jesus, uh, through marriage and finding Jesus. He is the answer, not just for salvation for eternity, but right now, today, for your work, for how you spend your money, for how you view sex, for how you view friendship, for how you go about marriage. Next week, how you parent. We're in the weeds of the overall umbrella of Proverbs of unto the fear of the Lord. The way that our Father can and does heal marriage is through you abiding in Christ. Learning what that looks like. Walking in that daily Abiding, you being you understanding and seeing that you have been united to Christ. Seeing how Jesus is the better spouse. Ephesians 5, you can't stay away from it, right? I won't turn there. But Jesus is the better spouse because he laid his life down for the church. And men, when we love our wives well, we are to exhibit the model that Jesus laid down for us through his power in and of itself. We don't wait for them to clean themselves up. We don't wait for them to get it right finally. We lay our lives down. When we see how Jesus initiated and he displayed this covenant love, that is, he didn't do uh, his part after we did ours. He did it. He went all the way. He didn't go 90 and then, well, you go 10 or I'll go 50-50. It was, I'm laying my life down for you. P.S. Husbands, do the same, Paul says. That's how we live every day, by his power, by his grace. Jesus gave all for the adulterous woman, right? If you go to the Old Testament, you'll see the adulterous woman pop up a lot, where Israel is called the adulterous woman. That's us. Don't think we're anywhere else. That Jesus, so that he laid down his life, and nobody took it from him so that he could wash us pure. To be able to present us to the Father as sons and daughters. What a miracle. When you hear that, when you receive that, 
when you believe that, when you walk in that, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, this is how, this is the mechanism of how you're able to love your spouse without waiting for them to meet you halfway. This is what marriage is supposed to look like. This is how it's healthy and abundant and thriving. When it's me for you mentality rather than you for me mentality. And Jesus modeled this for us. And Paul even says, hey, the better spouse is Jesus. So, you serve your spouse by seeing what Jesus has done for us. And then out of that, we're able to love them out of the power that the Spirit gives us. May all our marriages start looking like that more and more. And like Proverbs, over a lifetime, we cultivate and cultivate that. And it pours down into our children so that Jesus gets glory and that we get the joy. Let's pray together. We've got three directives that are on the screen here. Number one, we want to get the worship team to come on up. Pray for marriages and singles at Summit to look like God desires, faithful and fruitful for his kingdom. Number two, pray that marriages would experience the joy and the excitement of God's design. And then finally, thank Jesus who came after us that while we were yet sinners, he came to rescue us. He didn't wait for us to turn around or to finally say that or to finally, you know, okay, you finally realize some things. No, he just came after us. And he's transforming us even now. So let's pray. One or two minutes. And then I'll close us in prayer. If you're still praying, keep praying. And we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray.